Well, if you have your Bibles with you once again, I invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Titus, Titus chapter 2. If you're a guest with us, we've been working verse by verse uh, through this book, and we've come to chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1, Titus chapter 2. While you're finding your place there, I want to make two book recommendations to you this morning that coincide with this passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at the next few weeks. The first one is by one of my uh, favorite preacher's mentors, Alistair Begg's mentor, a guy by the name of Derek Prime. It's called A Good Old Age, an A to Z of loving and following the Lord Jesus in later years. Uh, This book is full of wisdom, and so I commend that one to you. And then secondly, this is a little older book. Uh, This is probably the best book I've read this year. It is by a guy named Gordon McDonald, and it is called A Resilient Life. And it is packed full of wisdom to live resiliently and finish strong. And I found it very, very helpful. And so I recommend that one to you as well this morning. Now to the text. And I want to speak for a few minutes on this subject this morning, instructions to the old and the young. And I'll let you know at the outset that it is going to take me several weeks to get through this text. All right? So Titus chapter 2, verse 1, and this is what the Word of God says. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech, that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. We live in a culture that is drowning in gender confusion. Social engineers dominate the media, our educational system, and other strategic places of influence, all with the goal of eliminating the gender distinctions and differences that God has created into every single human being. And as a result, the lines have become blurred 
and many are struggling what it means for a man to be masculine and what it means for a woman to be feminine. Men and women are the unique creations and image bearers of the one true and living God. We are distinct by divine design because God has made us male and female. And this divine distinction between men and women, even within the church, is under immense pressure to conform to the cultural currents swarming around us. And that's why, friends, it's imperative that we hear, we understand, and we obey what God has revealed in Scripture concerning the divine differences between men and women. And to that end, Titus chapter 2 is a key passage on this subject. The church needs the words of this text. For in these verses, Paul gives God's instructions. God's instructions for the roles of men and women in the church and in the home in a clear and concise manner. In this passage, Paul paints a picture of a community where age and experience matter, where there are unique challenges and temptations in every role and every generation, where older men are to teach younger men and where older women are to teach younger women, where the young seek the counsel of the aged and where the aged set an example for the young. The driving theme of these verses can be summed up in one word. It's the word discipleship. Older men need to disciple younger men. And older women need to disciple younger women. Christians were never meant to live life alone. We were meant to live in flocks. And a crucial ingredient of this reality is the discipleship that takes place across the generations. And in this text this morning, we're going to see Paul's instructions to the old and to the young. And so the first thing that I want you to see with me in this passage this morning is instructions to older men. And you'll find it in verses 1 and 2. And this is what he writes. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, Paul begins this section of Scripture by contrasting Titus and his ministry with the false teachers who were upsetting the church at Crete. And we looked at that in detail last week in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. And having described the false teachers in Titus 1, verse 16, as detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work, 
Paul now commands Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And he is emphatic in his instructions to Titus. Look at the beginning of verse 1. He says, but as for you. That phrase coming from Paul to Titus is a call for Titus to be different. It is a call for him to stand out from the prevailing culture and pursue a path that is consistent with sound, wholesome, healthy teaching. Titus, the false teachers are upsetting the church at Crete, but as for you, you are to go in a different direction. You are to go in the path that is healthy and sound. And Titus, your job is to teach the rest of the church this healthy, sound doctrine and what it means to live it out. And he does that with the phrase, teach what accords with sound doctrine. It literally means teach what is suitable and fitting with healthy doctrine. Paul is exhorting Titus to continually speak about right doctrine and right living and how right living flows from believing the right things. And in this context that we're looking at this morning, he tells Titus to do this in the context of older men and younger men. Now, we have to ask a question of the text. What is an older man? And I will tell you that Paul doesn't tell us in the text what he means or what he defines as an older man. I will also tell you this morning, I don't like the answer that I found in my studies. <laughs> From ancient Greek literature, the word that is translated older was used to describe someone 50 years old and up. I don't like that. I want you to notice something else in the text. This is really important, men. Please pay attention to this insight. The counsel that Paul gives older men, listen, are you listening? 50 and up, listening? It corresponds with the temptations that men in this category face on a daily basis. Men, 50 and up, do you want to know what your temptations are? Paul defines them in this passage. Chuck Swindoll was really helpful as he uh, outlined these temptations. This is what he said. While we typically think of older men as wiser, more mature, and stronger in faith, those who are up in the years do not always justify our expectations. The passage of time and the experience of life invite each person to gain wisdom, but many refuse the offer and instead, listen men, Older men, listen. Instead, they become critical, cynical, cranky, negative, and even lazy. And that is the temptations of men 50 years and older. That you be critical. That you be cynical. That you be cranky and irritable and negative. And that you would just be lazy and coast off into the sunset. And Paul addresses all of those temptations. 
in a very clear and direct manner. And in verse number two, he gives six qualities or characteristics that every older man should pursue as an example. Are you listening, men? To the entire church. It's no longer just about you. It's about the entire congregation. And so I've divided up the six characteristics into two categories. Outer life and inner life. And we begin in verse number two with the outer life. And he says that older men are to be sober-minded. It literally means to be free from intoxication. The idea is that of being a sensible man. A man who is clear-headed. A man who is known for sound judgment. And if this is what an older man is to be, it'll be reflected in the entirety of his life. It'll be reflected in his speech, in his actions, in his decisions, in his judgments, in his counsel, and in his response to various life situations. An older man will be clear-headed. He will be sober-minded. He will be sound in his judgment. A sober-minded older man is able to discern clearly what is of great importance and value. A sober-minded older man will use his time and his money and his energy more carefully and selectively than when he was younger and less mature. An older, sober-minded man will have his priorities in right order. He'll be satisfied with fewer and simpler things. He is to be clear-headed. He is to be sober-minded. Number two, he says that an older man is to be dignified. It literally means worthy of respect. It comes from a word that usually refers to people or things that are majestic. An older man is to be dignified. He is to be majestic. Negatively, it means to avoid becoming frivolous or tedious or superficial. And it's important to note that this word dignified is used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11 to describe characteristics that are to be in the life of a deacon and his wife. A dignified man, church, is a serious man. He's a man that is worthy of respect. A dignified older man is a man who, while not being a prude or a Pharisee, he takes no delight in inappropriate, off-color humor, vulgarity, or anything else that is suspect, questionable, or clearly out of bounds. He is worthy of honor and respect, particularly in this context, by younger men because of the purity and the integrity of his life. He's dignified. He's serious. Older men are to have a seriousness about them that reflects the seriousness of life and the seriousness of the things of God. There's also to be a weightiness in the character of an older man, a weightiness that brings a sense of gentle dignity and it inspires confidence in those that are around him. Older men are to live in a way that reflects their years. And if they do that, they'll be men of weight. They'll be worthy of respect. Listen, a, a man like this will bring strength and stability to his family. 
and to the congregation that he is a part of. A man who lives his life in this dignified way inspires younger men to say, I want to be like that when I get his age. Andrew Bonar was a 19th century Scottish preacher. And at the outset of his ministry, something was said to him that every Christian man should ponder. And this is what was said to him. Remember that very few men and very few ministers keep up to the end the edge that was on their spirit at first. They keep up to the end the edge that was on their spirit at first. Very few men, he said, in their life with the edge to which it began. That is sober. And it is a challenge. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If God gives me a healthy mind and a somewhat fit body, I pray the last days of my life are a stack of books waiting for me to read, a list of sermons that I want to listen to, and a pen and paper, computer, and books to write another sermon. To keep the edge in your life as a man to the end. That's dignity. It's seriousness. It's a weight. It's substance. There's nothing in here of coasting off into the sunset. Dignified. Next he says self-controlled. Temperate. To be disciplined. It's the idea of moderation and avoiding extravagance and overindulgence in every area of life. It is the opposite of careless, foolish living. And you'll notice if you study this text, this characteristic, self-controlled, it is given in some form or fashion to every group of people in the church. He says that older men are to be self-controlled. He says that younger men are to be self-controlled. He says that older women are to be self-controlled. He says that younger women are to be self-controlled. John MacArthur summarizes this quality of life saying that older men should have the discernment, discretion, and judgment that comes from walking with God for many years. They control their physical passions and they reject worldly standards and resist worldly attractions. They're self controlled. It's why the writer of Proverbs describes the aged in this way in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 31. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Gray hair is a crown of glory that comes from living a righteous life, a life of obedience in the same direction over a long period of time. That's what Paul is describing. In this verse, a sober-mindedness, a dignity, self-controlled. To be clear-headed, to be sensible, to be weighty in your character, and to be temperate. Older men, 50 years old and up, are these your goals in your life? Are these the characteristics that are on the forefront of your mind as you go to God in prayer and ask Him to shape you and make you and form you into the man of God that He has called you to be? 
older men with those closest to us say that we bring this kind of strength and this kind of stability to our families and to our marriages and to our children and to our church family? Are we men of strength and stability? Are we known for being clear-headed, worthy of respect, serious, and self-controlled? Or does our family and those closest to us avoid us because we're cranky, we're irritable, nothing is ever right, everything is always wrong, and we've just coasted, and are just waiting for life to be over. Well, that's the outer life. Now look at verse 2 and see the inner life. What Paul wants to see in older men is a sound, healthy, inner spiritual life. And he says that older men should be sound in faith. This refers to his personal relationship with God. And Paul is teaching that older men are to have a healthy trust in God. They are to be wholesome in their faith. They are to be rooted in their daily walk with God. And they are to be rooted in the word of God. An older man of faith does not question God's wisdom, God's power, or God's love. And he does not lose trust in God's goodness and grace or lose confidence in God's divine plan and God's divine wisdom. An older man of faith does not doubt the truth or sufficiency of God's word or waver in God's divinely assured hope that his plan will be fulfilled. Listen carefully to me. When this characteristic is absent from the life of older men, their unhealthy spiritual state is a detriment to the church. You will hear things like this. Well, we've never done it like that before. Why can't things always go back to the way they used to be? And it's because you've not grown in your faith. You have all of these years of experience in walking with God. And instead of your faith growing in trust, it's shrinking. Sound in faith. Christian men should grow old like Moses and Caleb. Moses began the most productive 40 years of his life at the age of 80. And when the Israelites prepared to conquer the promised land, Caleb, who was 85, chose and conquered the most rugged, best defended territory. And he said this as his testimony before he went into battle. Give me this hill country. At 85, he said that. He didn't lose his edge. He was sound in his faith and in his trust in God. And at 85, he wanted in the fight. And he didn't just want in the fight. He wanted the most difficult fight. Sound in faith. Next he says, sound in love. This refers to an older man's relationship with others. According to John 13, 35, love is the identifying mark of a true Christian. And listen to me, men. 
Being sound in love is the antidote to a critical, cynical, cranky spirit. You grow in love, love for others, love for those around you, you'll be less cranky, less critical. An older man of faith believes and practices the truth that we are to love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. An older man knows that the one who does not love does not know God because God is love, and that he is passed out of death into life because he loves the brothers. An older man has come to know and believe the love that God has for us, that God is love, and that whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. An older man is not afraid because there's no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear. An older man knows that he is able to love because God first loved him. And an older man knows that the mark of our love for God is the keeping of God's commandments, which are not burdensome. An older man is to be sound in love. And finally, he says he is to be sound in steadfastness. It could literally be translated perseverance or peace under pressure. It is total confidence in God regardless of the circumstances. Listen to me, men. It is the antidote to regrets. It's the antidote to a sense of uselessness or worthlessness. It's the antidote to despair or discouragement or the relaxing of standards. Steadfastness, perseverance in the faith is the antidote to all of those things. And would you look at the text with me, men? Would you look at the text? The world says when you get older, you are worthless, you are useless, you should be put on the shelf, you should be forgotten about, you should be neglected, and you should move on. And yet the text of Scripture says the exact opposite, that as you grow in age, you are more valuable. You are useful to the kingdom of God and to the people of God. And the way that you fulfill that usefulness is by persevering and enduring and staying in the fight and increasing in your faith and in your love. In Paul's other letters, he says that steadfastness produces godly behavior, that steadfastness endures tribulation and it leads to proven character, that steadfastness delivers believers to their, their eternal destiny, that it produces hope, that it results from intimacy with God, and that steadfastness helps someone remain singularly focused on Christ. That that's what this characteristic in our life does. And so older men of faith are to exhibit the ability to endure hardship, to accept disappointment and failure, to be satisfied despite thwarted personal desires and plans. Older men of steadfastness have learned to graciously live with difficulties like physical weakness and loneliness and being misunderstood and underappreciated. And older men with steadfastness don't lose heart when things don't turn out the way they hoped and expected. They have confidence that God works all things together for good to those who love them. Older men of faith are to be examples of perseverance. They're to be the kind of men who in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of danger, in the midst of deterioration, don't lose heart, don't throw in the towel. They fix their eyes on Jesus and they run across the finish line. 
They persevere. They endure to the end. That is what an old man of faith is called to do. John Wesley was an example of this kind of steadfastness. At the age of 83, after having traveled some 250,000 miles on horseback, preached more than 40,000 sermons, and produced more than 200 books and pamphlets, he regretted at 83 that he was unable to read and write for more than 15 hours a day without his eyes becoming too tired or weak. And after his 86th birthday, he admitted to an increasing tendency to sleep in and lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> at 86. At 86. He persevered. He endured. One commentator said this quote, and I want you to listen to it carefully, man. I'm going to stop along the way. It's poignant. It's powerful. It's long, but we need to hear it. Young and old need to hear it. True masculinity is about an outward, loving, dignified strength, which is based on a healthy inner spiritual life. That's Paul's whole point in verse 2. An outward, dignified life is based on a strong inner life. And to neglect our prayers, are you ready for this? Is to neglect our manhood. So when you get up in the morning and you rush off to work and you don't stop to spend time with God, you're neglecting your manhood. You think you're being a man by rushing out the door and providing and doing all these other things, but you're neglecting the very essence that makes you a man. To neglect our walk with God is the sure way for our masculinity to generate into unbridled selfishness or into religious hypocrisy. You see, it's all about the inner life, men, and what is happening in your heart and in your soul and in your mind because everything else in your life flows out of that. And if your mind's not right and your heart's not right and your soul's not right, your marriage won't be right. Your parenting won't be right. Your work won't be right. That's why Proverbs says you guard your heart with all vigilance. Proverbs 4.23, because out of it flow all the issues of life. But you neglect that area. And in neglecting that area, you neglect your manhood. It is when a man's inner life is pollinated with Christian faith, hope, and love that the flower of loving strength and true manhood blooms in his life. That is why a man's devotional life is of such importance. You know what the point is? You know what the point of this passage is? If you're not pursuing God and if you're not walking with God in a long direction for a long amount of time, you will never exhibit these qualities and these characteristics. You can't produce them in yourself. It is what God produces in you as a man who walks with him. 
That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. Pursue all of those things. Pursue steadfastness. Listen, pursue love. Pursue faith. Older men, listen to the text. Pursue gentleness. Why do you want to be so cranky and hard to live with? Pursue gentleness. Love. Faith. Godliness. And as you pursue it, listen to the text. You fight the good fight of faith. You take hold of the eternal life that Jesus Christ has won for you on the cross. You pursue that. It's a fight. If you don't pursue these things, as Paul tells Timothy, if you don't fight for them, you will stay in the same pattern and characteristics that you are 20 years from now. You'll just be more distilled. So if you're cranky now, you're going to be really cranky then. And then you're going to wonder why your grandkids never want to be around you. So it begs the question, why should older men be like this? Why is Scripture so insistent that maturity of age should be matched with spiritual maturity? That's the question of the text. And here's the answer. So older men will become an example to those who are younger in such a way that the younger men in the church will look at the older men of the church and say, I want to be like them. Older men, 50 years and older, do you want the younger men in this place walking around and saying of you, I hope I never lose my edge as a man like that guy has? Or do you want them to say, I want to follow him as he follows Christ. There's an edge about him. There's a dignity about him. There's a clear-headedness about him. He's not perfect, but boy, he's sound in faith. He really believes God and his word. He's not perfect, but boy, he's really pursuing love with his wife and love with his kids and love with other people in his life, even the ones that are difficult. And boy, I've seen him knocked down so many times. I've seen him go through so many trials and tribulations and struggles and difficulties. And he's persevered every time. He's gotten back up. He's not thrown in the towel. He's not quit. He's not given up. He's still fighting. He's still pursuing things in his life. He's not coasting. He's running with determination, endurance, perseverance. That's the point of the text. It's the point of the text. And listen to me. It is opposite 
of what the culture says that you should do as an older man. You should stock up all of your money so that you can retire as early as possible and live on the beach somewhere and just coast it out the rest of your life. And you have to ask yourself, man, is that really what Scripture calls you to do as a man? Or were you called for something more than that? It's awfully quiet in here. So let me apply it. If you are an older man, 50 years old and up, do you feel the challenge of this text to live your Christian life in such a way that you're an inspiration and an example to younger Christian men? Do you? To provide younger men with an example they can follow of a man who is sober-minded, a man who is worthy of respect, a man who is self-controlled, a man who is sound in faith, a man who is sound in love, a man who is sound in endurance. Older men, 50 years old and up, is this your inspiration? Is this your aspiration? That you would be this kind of man. That's the challenge of the text. There's a second application here. This text is teaching us that we should thank God for those who have gone before us and invested in our lives. When I was writing this sermon and studying this passage of Scripture, I couldn't help but think about men who are older than me who have invested in me. Dr. Garner, who had been in ministry for over 30 years, and I served under him as a seminary student, and his whole ministry, 30 years plus, was of going to churches where something tragic had happened, and he brought healing to the congregation, and he brought the church through it. And then God would seemingly move him on to another church where something tragic happened. And he would do the same thing at that church and then to the next church and to the next church. That was his whole ministry for over 30 years. And he was faithful. And he said to me as a young seminary student who thought he knew everything but really didn't know anything. My door is always open. You come in anytime. Ask me any question you want. And so when I had questions of theology, when I had questions of ministry, there I'd go. He'd be working on his sermon, and I'd knock on his door, and he'd tell me to come in. He'd tell me to sit down, and he'd put all of his stuff aside, and he would take all the time in the world with me to answer all of my questions. And he did that over and over and over again. And he had a tremendous influence on my life and on Gretchen's life. I, even little things. I remember he would stand on the platform during worship and we'd be singing a hymn and he loved the old hymns and he would start raising up on his tiptoes like that while, while he was singing. And stuff like that just stays with you because this was a man of dignity. This was a serious man, a sober-minded man, a man who had weight in his life. And I am who I am today because of him. 
I, I thought of Mark Meadows, who was like six foot two and wore cowboy boots. And he wore bright purple jackets and bright red jackets and green jackets. And while Dr. Garner taught me a lot of uh, theological things about ministry, Pastor Meadows taught me how to be a pastor. And so he would take me to the hospital with him. And there we would go, little old me and big tall him in the bright jackets. And everybody would think I was his son. And he would say to me, he would say to me, Darren, I'm doing a funeral in two days. You ride along with me so you can learn how to do a funeral. And I, I can't tell you how many funerals I sat through and just watched him preach a funeral. And then one day he said to me, now it's your turn to help with the funeral and this is what you're going to do. And this is how you bury people. And this is how you do hospital visits. I am who I am today as a pastor because of his influence. And I, I could bore you with name after name. Here's my point, friends, and here's the application. When you have weight in your life, like the text is talking about from generations ahead of you, it makes a difference. It adds value in your life. It changes the trajectory of your life, and it changes who you are. And so here's, here's the application for the whole church from this text. If you are benefiting from the ministry of this church currently, if you have benefited from the ministry of this church, you need to stop today and thank God for the faithful generations of Christian men and women who sacrificed and served and worshipped and worked so that First Baptist Church Wheeling could have almost a 190-year history in the city of Wheeling. That is faithfulness. That is perseverance. That is clear-headed, sound in faith, sound in love. It's dignity. It's worthy of respect. And it is what this text calls all of us to pursue and be. So, older men, you're going to take the challenge and pursue and be that kind of man for the younger men coming behind you? We'll deal with younger men next. And then older women and younger women. So now nobody's off the hook, right? Nobody's off the hook. And hopefully I've whetted your appetite so that you'll come back to hear about everybody. Because as I said to you at the beginning of the sermon, this is a text that the church needs to hear. This is a text that the church needs to believe. And this is a text that the church needs to obey because the world is never going to teach you this only God in his word will and what God says in this text still matters today whether the world believes it or not we'll be held accountable to this in the end let's pray